Chapter 13 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 13, Rome and the East. The Battle of Zama and the peace with Carthage in the year 202 BC made it clear that no other power could become as great as Rome in the west of Europe. She had now for her own practically all Italy, Sicily, Corsica, Sardinia, the Carthaginian lands in Spain, which stretched over a great space in the north and another in the south. Carthage and the north of Africa were allied with her and must fight against any enemy of the Roman people if asked to do so. It was almost certain that Rome would, when she found herself so strong, try to conquer more land in western Europe. But immediately after the peace with Hannibal, she naturally turned her attention to the east of Europe, where the states were fighting among themselves, and no one state was strong enough to conquer the others. We saw how after the death of Alexander the Great, his empire was divided into many kingdoms, some of which were governed by Greek rulers and others not. More than a hundred years had passed, since the death of Alexander, when the people of Rome turned their attention to the east. The Macedonian kings since Alexander had always kept their rule over the greater part of Greece, though some of the towns on the coast had set themselves free. But in the days of Philip V, king of Macedon, some of the Greek cities joined together in leagues to try to free Greece from Macedonian rule. As this Philip V, sent help to Hannibal in his fight with Rome, the Romans sent help to a league which was struggling against Philip. And when peace was made with Carthage and Rome had less to trouble her in the west, she sent an army to fight against Philip in earnest. He was defeated in the great battle of Sinocephali, and so ended the Macedonian rule over Greece. The Romans were always very full of admiration for the greatness and beauty of Greece. They were so practical themselves and had so little of the natural gift for art and beauty that they were filled with a kind of wonder at the beautiful things which had been done and written by the Greeks in the past. It was partly this, and partly perhaps for other reasons, that Rome, having freed Greece from the Macedonians, declared that she would leave her free to govern herself. This proclamation was cried aloud at the Ithmian Games at Corinth, when, as usual, a great crowd of people from all parts of Greece had met together for the festival. The people were full of joy at the good news, and it was said afterwards that they broke out into a great cry of gladness, which could be heard on the seashore miles away. The Greeks, to show their gratitude, set free many Roman prisoners who had been taken by Hannibal and sold to them as slaves. But the old weakness of the Greeks was to bring them, after all, before long, under the rule of Rome. 
The states were still always quarreling among themselves, and it was natural that Rome should interfere, and in the end make up her mind to rule Greece herself. Meanwhile, she had to deal with other people in the east. Antiochus, king of Syria, was anxious to gain power in Egypt, and the Egyptians had asked for help from Rome. Antiochus was a friend, too, of Philip V of Macedon, but had not been able to help him against Rome. As soon as the Romans had left Greece, one of the leagues asked Antiochus to help them to fight against Rome. Antiochus was anxious to win some of the lands which Philip of Macedon had lost, but he was defeated first in Greece and then in Asia Minor. He had to give up most of his lands and pay a large sum of money to the Romans. After this, the whole of Asia Minor belonged to Rome. Philip V of Macedon was still full of anger against the Romans and was always planning and plotting to win Greece again for Macedonia. But he could do nothing. When he died, his son Perseus became king, and he was even more anxious than his father to take his revenge on Rome. At last, the Romans sent an army to fight against him, and he was completely defeated. Perseus was taken prisoner to Italy, where he died some years later, and Macedonia now also belonged to Rome. It was the custom for the Roman generals who won great battles to have a triumphal procession through the streets of Rome on their return. The triumph of Aemilius Paulus, the general who had defeated Perseus, was most significant. It lasted three days, and the Romans, dressed in the white robes which they always wore on days of festival, crowded to see it. On the first day, 250 wagons went in procession, filled up with beautiful Greek statues and pictures which the conquerors had brought from Macedonia. On the second day, wagons carried great piles of beautiful polished armor and swords and other weapons taken from the bodies of the Macedonian soldiers who had been killed, and great piles, too, of silver cups and bowls also taken from the conquered. On the third day, the triumph was most magnificent, but even the Roman people felt how sad it was, for behind a number of young Roman men leading great oxen, decorated with flowers and ribbons, to be killed in sacrifice, there followed all the gold cups and plates taken from Perseus himself. Behind this was his chariot, carrying the armor and the crown which he would never wear again, then came the three children of Perseus, surrounded by their teachers and servants, who held out their hands to the crowd, as though asking for pity. Paulus, in his splendid chariot, came last, but in front of him walked Perseus, clothed in black, looking down at the ground, and seeming so heartbroken that all the people were sorry for him. The End of Greek Freedom Perseus was the last civilized king against whom Rome fought. After this, her empire grew larger and larger, but after the fall of Greece, it was against barbarous, or at least only half-civilized, people that she had to fight. For years before the conquest of Macedonia, the Greek states had been quarreling among themselves and complaining about each other to Rome, who often interfered to put things right. 
But after the conquest of Macedonia, the Romans became harder towards Greece. Some Greeks had been glad when Perseus fought against Rome, and one thousand of the noblest of these people were carried off to Rome and kept prisoners there for seventeen years. At last, when one of the leagues tried to force Sparta to join them, in spite of Rome forbidding them to do so, war broke out. The Romans, of course, won, and Corinth, a city which had been especially bold in the rebellion, was by order of the Romans burnt to the ground, and at last Greece was made into a Roman province and governed by a Roman governor. It was in the year 146 B.C. that Corinth was burnt and the freedom of Greece lost forever. The beautiful statues and works of art of which Corinth was full were sent off to Rome. It is said that the Roman commander who sent them off told the owners of the ships that if any were broken, they would have to be replaced by others of the same value. He was a rough soldier and did not understand that these things could never be replaced, for only the great Greek artists of a time gone by could make them. But the more educated Romans did understand this, and from this time onwards they were constantly learning about and imitating the art and literature of Greece, and it is through the Romans that we today have learnt so much from the old Greek civilization. In the same year in which Corinth was burnt, the Romans destroyed Carthage, too. They had long wished to do so. There was one man in the Senate named Cato, who ended every speech he made for several years with the words, Delenda este Carthago, Carthage must be destroyed. It will be remembered how, by the peace made with Hannibal, it was decided that Carthage might never again fight an enemy without permission from the Romans. The king of Numidia, a country close to Carthage, was very friendly with the Romans, but always annoying Carthage. Rome would never give the Carthaginians permission to fight against him, but at last they could stand it no longer, and did so. Immediately the Romans made up their minds to punish them. The Carthaginians were told that they must destroy their own city, but they said they would not. They shut their gates against the Roman army which was sent against them. For three years they stood a terrible siege. There was an immense wall all round the city, and inside the women joined with the men making javelins and other weapons to fling at the Romans. When the horsehair which was required for certain weapons ran short, the women cut off their own long hair to take its place. The Carthaginians fought like lions. Sometimes a band of soldiers would come out to the walls and scatter the Romans, but in the end the Romans were able to prevent any food going into the city and later broke in. There was fighting for three days in the narrow streets. Houses were burnt and women and children were buried in the ruins. The town was completely destroyed, and Romans cursed the ruins. So ended the Third Punic War, the last traces of a great empire and of a people who, with all their faults, had done wonderful things on sea and land before the Romans were ever heard of. Rome had now power over practically all the lands round the Mediterranean Sea except Egypt. 
She soon finished the conquest of Spain and the south of Gaul, which is now called France. Most of these lands were already Roman provinces governed by Roman governors, and those which were not immediately made into provinces very soon became so. It will be interesting to see what changes all these victories had made in the Romans themselves. End of chapter 13